And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I, I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. So last week, I talked with a former Silicon Valley tech exec who turned her attention and career to working with dogs. And this week... I talk with a former Silicon Valley tech exec who turned her attention and career to working with dogs. This week, though, her name is Beverly Ulbrich. She's known as the Pooch Coach, and for the last 19 years, she's been one of the top dog trainers in San Francisco. Kind of like me, she started as a hobbyist trainer, but for Beverly, the path turned almost, well, like I said, almost two decades ago, and she just never looked back. She's an amazing dog, named Music, that's music with a K. And Music's appeared in all sorts of TV commercials, TV shows, and she actually trains, Beverly trains dogs to be in TV, on TV. She also spends lots of time working with shelters and rescues. She doesn't pull any punches. And while she definitely plays the politically correct card given the fact that she's based in San Francisco, there were more than a few times in our conversation where she gets to the point pretty directly, especially when it comes to things like people who get dogs who maybe shouldn't get dogs and people who opt to just medicate their dog rather than actually take care of the behavioral problems the proper way. Buckle up. This is a fun one. I'm Kathy Brooks, and this is Talk Unleashed. Beverly Ulbrich, so good to have you here. We get to do a little do-over since we've had some technical difficulties today. So your love of animals started, it sounds like for me, uh, from from word one, from day one, that you were surrounded by hamsters and gerbils and rabbits and lizards and fish and birds and cats <laughs> and all, all the things except- And ducks. And ducks, but everything except for a dog. As, as I understand it. How old were you yes. when you got your first dog? I think my parents finally gave in at around 10. I was just getting into junior high school. Got it. So for those, uh, for the uninitiated, uh, Beverly is known as the pooch coach, one of, if not the top canine behaviorist dog trainers in the city of San Francisco seen nationally on television, nationally recognized as a, as a, um, as a talent in dog behavior. And, uh, I have no idea how our paths crossed, but they did. And all things do for a reason. And, um, as someone who came to the world of, of dog behavior, uh, kind of sideways as a profession, as, as a hobbyist for, for many, many years and kind of sideways as a profession, when I find another who, like me, uh, is somewhat of a refugee from the tech industry, was a hobbyist with behavior and turned the passion into profession, uh, I'm always fascinated to learn about the journey. So I guess for you, you know, you go to, you know, you go to the university, you get a college degree, you get out of college, you get a real J-O-B job, you know, you end up as a, as a leader in technology, running engineering and technology teams in Silicon Valley. All the time, dogs are part of your life. All the time, dog behavior is part of your life. At what point for you 
did did you realize that putting your attention and your talents toward this was an important thing? Um, well, I got pushed in two different directions. There was a dot-com bust kind of making me look at my career that way anyway, because as a consultant at that point, work goes goes down pretty quickly when they're trying to lay off people and, and spend less money. <laughs> so it was, it was about time. And um, and, and actually, one of my springboards was um, Gene Donaldson's book, Culture Clash. I was actually reading it on the beach, and I read, I read it like one sitting. And I went, you know what? I she, The way she explained it were things I thought of, but I never heard anybody else explain it that way, about like how dogs perceive things and stuff. And I thought, wow, I've always known all this too. Like, I know all this stuff. Like, this is what I should be doing. I, I, it's ingrained in who I am. <laughs> and so um, that was one of my big kickoff moments of just saying, I can definitely do this because there's nothing I read anymore that I'm surprised by or I, that there's nothing I'm doing wrong anymore. You know, you finally get to the point where you realize you're saturated with information and ready to teach. <laughs> yeah. And Jean Donaldson for the uninitiated is, of course, a... Uh, hallmark talent in the world of, of dog behavior. You know, you have your Gene Donaldson's, your Ian Dunbar's. Um, if you're looking at aggressive dog training, Michael Shikashio, you know, there's the, the people whose, whose names, voices, and reputations precede them. One of the things that yep. I really love, though, Beverly, about kind of the way that you, at least via your website, I should say, uh, describe um, the way you approach is empathetic dog training empathetic dog training. Now, it seems like it should be a no-brainer, right? Empathy, dogs, warm, fuzzy, I love them. But tell me a little bit more about what that means to you and how you came to that as a, a moniker, if you will, for what it is you do. All right. Well, I think the, one of the reasons I am a good dog trainer is because of my empathy. Like I can always figure out, or a good trainer, you know, I do the same thing with people, even a teacher of people. Even when you're talking to people, you have to understand where they're coming from and know their level of understanding or ex experience and everything in your area. Like if a dog, if, if there's a dog owner, for instance, that has never owned a dog before, you have to talk to them differently than someone who's on their 10th dog and has dealt with just about any everything and just has one problem. You can go a lot faster with that person. <laughs> um, so you have to kind of know where you're coming from. And, 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 and that's, that's with people. But with dogs, it's the same thing. Some dogs are ready for the next step and some dogs aren't. And if you really can, can get underneath and understand what make, what's making them afraid, and especially then, explain to their, their humans what's going on and say, the dog is feeling this way because of this. Then they finally go, oh, okay, that makes sense and I need to fix it. But if they just think their dog's being an asshole, then <laughs> they don't have much empathy for them. <laughs> I, I noticed something interesting just now. You started to say owner, but you caught yourself and you said human. Tell, yep. me, more, tell me more about that shift. I live in the Bay Area and do not want to be yelled at. <laughs> Um, I mean, I believe that it is It is obviously a guardianship. And, e and I mean, to me, my dog is, is my soulmate, my partner, everything. She's an equal to me. So um, I, I don't think of her as uh, me as owning her either. Um, but it's just such a common term terminology and an easy way to say what you're trying to describe that I still default to it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also from, you know, kind of from where I sit, uh, by the letter of the law in almost every municipality and almost every state in the United States, certainly, and absolutely in most other nations, if we're looking at um, 
the relationship of a dog in a home, they're viewed as property, right? A dog is a thing. It is a, you have your car, you have your house, you have your garden furniture, you have your artwork, you have your TV, you have a dog, like the dog is a, is a possession. There's been so much wonderful work lately around legislation, uh, at, at city and state level for sure. That's a lot more humane, really treating them as the sentient beings they are, which is amazing. Um, but that mindset, you know, so for me, you know, my dogs are my family. I am responsible. I am the responsible steward for their care. They're clear who's in charge. Like, they're clear that there's a structure in the household, much like I was clear with my parents, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't run the yeah. house. And, yeah. and so I think about how we've anthropomorphized, which we were warned by Charles Darwin, by the way, be careful of anthropomorphization because it will be the death. Like he told us this back in the 1800s, be careful of this. Um, so the anthropomorphization. And then, of course, we get hit by this pandemic where people get, you know, essentially living, breathing binkies so that they can feel better. Um, I would love to know from your perspective, when you sit with clients today, how it differs from how it maybe looked four years ago in a pre-pandemic time when people, you know, were getting dogs and they were bringing puppies into the house and that sort of thing. And then the people who have since brought dogs into the house where the the relationship might have a, a lot of a different charge to it for them. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd say um, there's three three things that are different uh, that came to my head right away in the pandemic. Um, first of all, some people that would not normally have gotten dogs got dogs because they were stuck at home and bored and thought it was a great time to try it and that kind of stuff. They weren't like planning on it, you know, working their entire schedule around it, making it part of their entire life to have a dog. They're just thinking, we can do this now. We have time. Like we can pick up skiing or (laughs) running. (laughs) Um, The other thing is, is that uh, during the pandemic, we were told to stay away from people. And in, in the beginning, we couldn't, I was even afraid to let people pet my dog you don't know where the germs are getting spread. So so we, everybody was being away from each other. Dogs saw us give each other six foot birth and they saw us cover our faces. So even dogs that were used, were socialized were starting to become unsocialized at this point. And any new puppies were like, what kind of world is this? So as I warned those people, when the masks come off and somebody goes to approach the dog, the dog's gonna go, what the hell? <laughs> Why are you approaching me? And why can I see your mouth? Like everything will be completely different that would normally would have been normal. Um, and then the, uh, the last thing is the thing we, 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 talk, we talked about for like two seconds before, which is the separation anxiety. All the people that, that started were working from home are starting to eat, either go to work or want to travel or whatever. And they can't leave their dog alone without them going insane. Yeah. You know, separation anxiety. I mean, I... I don't know where you land on this, and I would love to to hear your thoughts. I mean, dogs are pretty simple. And they're not easy. That's why we have job security, um, because humans will continue to be human. But dogs are pretty simple in how they see the world. It's hierarchically structured. There's clearly identified leadership and roles and responsibilities. There's rules, consequences for breaking the rules. Um, everybody knows what lane they're in and stays in their lane. And if they start getting out of their lane, there's guidance to get back in their lane. And and most of the behaviors I see, so barring cognitive defects like dogs that are born just bad breeding or some sort of defect or some sort of physiological problem that's leading to behavioral stuff. Like so like like we'll take that stuff out of the equation. 
most behaviors that that I encounter are essentially um, a dog just desperately trying to figure out what their relationship is to the world around them, to their people, to other dogs, to their environment. And so they're acting out like a preverbal toddler might to try to mm-hmm. get a, to elicit a response because how I respond to that dog will tell the dog what our relationship is. Do you let me jump all over you and jump on you and enter your space without invitation? Oh, well, we must be peers. Or you may be maybe a subordinate of mine because if you're the leader to me, I'm going to need express permission before I can kind of get up in your grill unless I'm like a nursing puppy with its mother kind of thing. Um, so I'd be curious where, you know, because you live in an area where there's more dogs than human children per capita, and that's probably only gotten increased since the pandemic, Um, a place with interesting perspectives of anthropomorphization. I'll just say that and leave it it there. (laughs) Um, Do you find in trying to guide people back to the true north of what a dog actually is that you face more challenges today than you did four or five years ago? Yes. I, I think people are less educated about dogs now. We're getting too many people are getting dogs that don't understand how much work they are. I think before, like I said, maybe it's the pandemic too, but um, but before you found again that people knew they were making a you know a lifetime of the dog's <laughs> commitment uh, to to be there for them and and, and what they have to what, what it encompasses. Um, and and again, understand that they can get problems uh, you know with their behavior, especially if you don't raise them right. So what I love is when somebody gets a puppy and says, I just don't want to make any mistakes, help me. That 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 clean slate is awesome. But what I get tired of is, well, my dog's bit five people and now he's biting me and I just don't know what to do. How old is he? Three. And so he's been biting you his whole life. Yeah. And like He's been biting people's whole life. And now in five years, we finally decided this was the time to stop letting him bite. So then, you know, that's going to be a really hard case because it didn't bother them that much or they would have fixed it earlier. And they've let this behavior go on for too long. So the dog's ingrained now. So uh, I have an interesting situation. I have a lovely, lovely family, lovely family. And the um, when the husband and wife were a young couple, they had a golden retriever. And this is, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And the Goldens, I don't know how, where you stand on this, but like the Golden Retrievers of 15, 20 years ago are not the Golden Retrievers of today that I'm seeing for the most part. Completely overbred. They're beautiful, but dumber than a bag of hammers. You know, overly excitable. Don't know how to rechannel their energy. Overly mouth. Like it's yeah, a lot more super, nervous super too. nervous. And people are like, oh, it's a Golden. I'm going to get up in the Golden's face. I'm like, ah, you're going to get your face ripped off, maybe. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, but they had this golden who, you know, would walk with them off leash and they lived in a city and the dog was well behaved and they didn't have kids. So now this lovely couple has three young kids all under the age of 12. And a little over a year ago, they got a pair of brothers, same litter, mistake number one, sheep a doodle. Sheep a doodle. And I'm going to say something that may get me eviscerated. It is my least favorite doodle breed. They're adorable. They're adorable. They look like panda bears. I've, ne- I've luckily never seen one. <laughs> I've never yeah, heard of old that Old English one yet. sheepdog. 
I thought they were done with no. doodles. I thought I'd no, seen I think them we're all. only getting started, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, Old English Sheepdog and Standard Poodle. Like, whoever thought that that... Yeah, I've seen Sheepa Doodles. Sheepa Doodles yeah. are really popular So, right um, whoever thought that that was a... I thought you were saying oh. Sheba. Oh, like God, Shiba please Inu. don't say that out loud because now somebody's going to make it. No. That's oh, why I was like, God. Saying. I was like, no. Sheba Inu and Poodle? Oh, I would do God. that. No, Sheep, Sheep, a doodle. Sheep, a doodle. Cancel, cancel. No, Sheep, a doodle. Sheep, a doodle. Yes. Doodles yeah. are very popular. Yes, I, I've been coming across a um, lot. And um, one is deeply, deeply anxious. One is deeply, deeply dominant. And um, they free feed the dogs from the same bowl. The dogs are free feeding, eating whenever they want. Big same bowl. Uh, lots of baby talk. Lots of dogs up in their space and climbing all over them and rolling on them. Like all, all of the things. And um, because they could do it with their last dog. Because they could do it with their last dog. So you said something earlier about working yeah. with a client where you come in and it's their 10th dog versus their first dog. So I'm curious, have you, what's your experience of people who have had dogs and maybe they've just been dodging bullets this whole time, right? They had dogs that were like the Teflon dogs or breeds that didn't used to be overbred or yeah. they just got lucky. And now they've got a situation where they've got a yeah. dog and they think they know because they've had dogs before. They think they know. Yet they're on your doorstep because the dog just bit the next door neighbor's kid. And it was a glancing blow. But they come to you and yet they don't take the counsel like, well, we'll do this, but we don't want to do that. So, like, I would just love to know, yeah. you know, how you how you approach and kind of your thought process in, in really guiding people. Because at the end of the day, human error will lead to a dog getting euthanized. Yep. So what's your specific question? So when you're dealing with somebody who has that, I've had, a do I've had dogs forever. I grew up with dogs. I know what I'm doing. This dog just is different than all the others. How do you, how do you mm -hmm. navigate that to to serve the dog? Well, I, that's more than 50% of the people I work with. I mean, that's how common that is. People are like, my, oh, my, so then, and of course, the assumption is, even though they were like five when they had that other dog, they had something to do with the dog behaving well, and they obviously were good with dogs, so it's not their fault. So they don't know why this dog is so messed up. That happens too. Like, like, like the, the biggest thing people have to realize, obviously, is that it's, especially if they've had a dog since they were a puppy, it's their fault. The dog is this way because you trained them to be this way, period. And <laughs> yes, there's some genetics and other things, but it, it's still, the, the behaviors are there because of you causing them and, and, and allowing them or whatever. Um, so that's where it gets hard. And, and, and I do, I, the other thing that's happening here now more, I find, as years have gone on, people are reading much less. So like, I'll send them instructions. I do the homework, I send them it in writing and they still don't read it. And I knew that like, even before we meet, if somebody writes and says, uh, you know, ask me a question, I'm like, it's in the email I sent you already. Like, you want me to type it in again for you or uh, you already have it, like, what more can I do? Um, and so I'm finding that happens so often and, and people even, you know, say they're working on X, Y, Z when I've assigned ABC. 
And they'll write back and going, well, we're still working on stay and sit. I'm like, you're supposed to be working on handling the dog without getting bitten. And you're supposed to do these, these settle down exercises and, and, you know, entry level things. That's what I'm assigning. Well, but we want to do this and we're good dog trainers. You're good dog trainers. Your dog has bitten your, you and your husband 17 times. How does that make you a good dog trainer? And why did you hire me for advice if you're not going to follow it? And so to be honest, in that case, I fired them. I just gave them my money back and said, I can't work with you then. If you're not going to do what I assign, this is a waste of both times. I can't just keep repeating the same thing and you not, not do it and then get mad at me. So I have actually had to do that twice in the last year. What's been the most heartbreaking experience you've had in working with a dog? Well, other than my dog almost getting killed with that attack. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah. That was my dog. But well, let's, let's actually, let's actually I, I, talk about happens? that for a second. So you have a dog that was attacked by a husky, um, super high prey drive breed, super high drive breed, super like a dog that probably shouldn't be owned by a novice or somebody who's not going to work the dog. You work, work a husky, great dog. Still probably not great for group play, still probably not great for a dog park, probably should still only be with dogs its size or larger, still to be safe. Exactly. Um, yeah, I've started telling people certain breeds really shouldn't be pets. They're meant to be working dogs. And if you can't work them enough, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. So besides the Husky, what other dogs fit in that category for you? Sorry, you broke besides up the Husky, besides the Husky, what other dogs fit in that category? If you could like do a must be this tall to ride this ride. Almost any yeah. hurt. Yeah, I say German Shepherds and herding breeds in general because they, they have so much energy and they're so intelligent. And if you don't drain that, they're going to have behavior problems. They're going to bark too much or chew on things or, or nip at your heels trying to herd. You know, uh, so if you can give them, uh, you know, several hours of, you know, intense, exer intelligent exercise every day, then yeah, that you can own that own that kind of pet or, or be a guardian to that kind of pet. Um, but otherwise, these people you know think they can walk the dog forty five minutes a day, and they're wondering why it's being neurotic. And it's like forty five minutes a day is nothing for this dog. It, it warms them up. <laughs> so you've probably heard this. I just need to get my dog's energy out. I've got a border collie puppy, so I'm going to take him to the park and run him, 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 run him. But I don't do any behavioral stabilization work. I don't do any boundary work. I don't do any structural work. I don't do any bite inhibition work. I just kind of run him, run him, run him, run him, run him, tie him up. And then they're surprised when the dog's a year old and super strong and has super endurance and is tearing their house apart. How do you handle that client when they knock on your door? <laughs> besides maybe um, besides maybe keep the blinds closed and not answer the door <laughs> yeah exactly um well again that, what i explain to those people is they're giving them the physical exercise they need but not the mental exercise you know out of the, the I, I what my what i pitched to my clients is every dog needs the right amount and the right kind of physical exercise the right amount and the right kind of mental exercise and leadership if you have all those things, your dog can be a well-balanced, happy dog. If any of those are missing, or in some cases, all three are missing, you're so going to have a nightmare. So what does leadership mean to you? 
um, kind of what you were saying, like, like showing the dog what you do and don't want. Like, for instance, an easy one is you walk through the door, the dog jumps on you. People say, well, I ignore him and walk away. And I say, that's kind of mean. If your kid came up and said, hey, welcome home, mom or dad, give me a hug. Would you say, screw off and walk away? <laughs> I mean, you teach them how to greet you the way you want. And, and then you welcome it. And the same thing for a dog. Don't walk away. You're not giving him any leadership. You're not giving him any instruction. Tell him that you'd like him to sit. And then when he sits, tell him he's a good dog and pet him. And then he'll know what you want him to do. And he'll do it to get what he wants. And you'll have this nice symbiotic relationship around that. But if you don't tell your dog what to do, and you don't, and especially even physically handle your dog in, in that way, if you have a scared dog and you make him go into the dog park first, or even out the door first, you're telling him, I'm even more afraid than you. You check it out. You're in charge. You should go first around a corner, stepping into the street, stepping off the elevator. All those things, the person goes first and clears the area and lets the dog know, I got you. I'm taking care of it. I'll make sure nothing scary is going to get you. And when, when the dog sees that, they can relax. Otherwise, hypervigilant, I got to get out that door first. I got to be on it just in case something's there. And, the, you know, all that energy comes up and nervousness. And it's just awful to see. So I'm going to I'm going to say a phrase and I'm just I would love to have your reaction to it. That proper leadership for the dog can impact the way we as humans interact with other humans in the world. Can you, uh, you broke up a little for the first yeah. couple words. Can you repeat No, all good. Sorry. So that proper leadership of a dog mm -hmm. can serve as a model for better leadership in our lives. Yes, for sure. In fact, you know, you know, what just hit me is don't shoot the dog. If you know learning theory, you use it with people and dogs. You use it with everything. I used to make people I dated read, <laughs> you can't shoot the dog to make sure that they can communicate effectively so I didn't have to deal with another idiot. <laughs> so if you don't tell me what you want and you don't show me what you want, I can't give you what you want. I'm not going to guess correctly. And dogs aren't going to guess correctly either. In fact, they're going to guess even more incorrectly than humans. You didn't want me to chew on that couch? I, I thought it would be so fun. Well, I'm hoping that we're not <laughs> dating people who chew on couches. I was referring yeah, to the dog, well. but that might have happened once. <laughs> oh, dear. So... When you look at leadership in the world today, you look at kind of how people are uh, behaving in the world around us. I had someone say to me, Kathy, you know, oh, pandemic, you know, it's turned people into, I'm like, da, 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 da. Pandemic was kerosene on a flame that was already lit. Has it didn't turn people into assholes. <laughs> yeah. It didn't make people self-centered. It didn't make people <laughs> self-righteous and selfish. It just somehow stripped away any veneer of civility that inclined them to not behave like assholes. That for some reason. Right. Especially with the path we had already. We had already been kind so. of for the last 20 some years or so 
I think, as a society. And that's a whole different conversation for a whole different podcast. This idea, though, of of the degradation of leadership in society. I actually believe, I have a thesis, that the innate tribalism that we have as humans is not distinctly different from the way dogs exist in groups. Hierarchically based, socially oriented clusters with leadership roles, responsibilities, and organization with consequences for breaking the rules that are appropriately fair fair consequences consequences that are appropriately applied based on the infraction. Not all rules are weighted the same. Right. And so, and you also have to take into account the individual's ability. Like again, if they have a mental condition and a dog can have a mental condition too, um, but if there's physically or mentally something wrong there, you know, we, we have it's such a broad thing to look at that way, but I, I'm just bringing it up because I, I'm trying to say that there's 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 something that's very black and white, and then there's always these little gray things too that you have no, to. No, I, I agree for. entirely. So for me, it's why I always love. Um, well, we'll come back to bite dog bite statistics because it actually plays into this, but I don't want us to rat hole in a whole nother, a whole nother topic. But this idea of We've been shoved into these, we've been shoved into these silos by technology where all the people look and sound like us and they believe like us and they read what we read and they see what we see. And we've been told that the other silos are all bad, wrong, dangerous, must kill. And the core element, I don't know if you've studied um, any of Brian Hare's work or any of the work of the, the silver fox, Siberian fox experiment and around domestication, this concept of curiosity being this inherent quality of domestication, that the thing that draws us near to something that's different than we are and allows us to live in symbiosis is the fact that we're curious. I don't want to eat it. I don't want to tear it apart. I don't want to run away from it. I'm not going to pose a threat, so it's not going to kill me but I'm curious enough to come close. And so the wolves were, you know, hungry and they see like the dead carcass of a thing. And, you know, well, if I pose a threat to that weird monkey looking thing over there, it's gonna kill me with a spear or kill me with an arrow. But if I don't pose a threat, maybe instead of having to chase down that ox or wildebeest or whatever existed at the time, I can go get like easy money over here. And, you know, thus it began. And so to approach the curiosity of otherness and the strength of self in place of a dog actually can make us more human. Yeah, for sure. I agree. How do you see that in your work and how do you apply that in your work? Um... Trying to see what what, what route I want. <laughs> I, I, I naturally want to go down given this. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm sorry, I'm going blank on this one. But yeah, <laughs> nothing's yeah. coming up that I can say that's deep in intelligence on, on this particular to- topic. I just agree with what you said. <laughs> okay, so typically me... At providing the response for a guest, 
bad podcast host. Bad podcast host. Okay, slap myself. Slap myself on the no, microphone. No, no, no. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. I normally I spring up of almost anything except that everything you said there was like I was just saying yes, 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 and I didn't think yeah. but and any on anything. <laughs> trying to come, I'll try and come up with something more controversial. Um, so. You talked before about people getting dogs who have never had dogs before. What do you do when you walk into a house and you're like, why do they have a dog? What am I going to do? Like, they just shouldn't. They both work really busy jobs and one of them travels all the time and they've got three kids and they're never home. And the dog, this is just not going to, like, what do you do in a case like that? I explain how much work a dog is. And I try I try to tell them that, you know, it's basically like having a four or five-year-old kid. They can do some things on their own, but you have to constantly oversee them and, and, and make sure you're taking care of them. And they must get, the other thing I, I really get upset with when people say they don't walk their dog, that's completely unacceptable. I tell people I can't even, I won't take you into my program and try to help you unless you walk your dog at least an hour a day, because it's not fair. So I have to set those kinds of rules up right away and say, if, if you can't walk your dog an hour a day, I can't help you. And nobody else is going to, for that matter. What about either, people so. who say, well, wait, I and got a I yard, go I got a yard. List. I open the dog yard, open the door, dog runs around, dog gets exercise, dog gets to go outside, goes to the bathroom outside. What's the importance of the walk? What I explain to people is that the walk is a migration path that every animal takes to food and water every day. It's part of their core being. It's, if you if you will, what I call it is their meditation even, right? Because they're blindly just following an animal that's flying or running or whatever they're doing. Um, and that's their whole job for that hour or whatever the migration is. Um, and then they get down to the watering hole or whatever and frolic, and then they follow the animal back and it's life or death. And they're not stopping to chase squirrels. Um, and they're not, in fact, I even joke that they're not even stopping to go to the bathroom. If a zebra tried to stop to poop, while they were, he was migrating across the plains of Africa, he would be trampled to death. So they even have to go to the bathroom while they're running. So what I tell people is that, yes, we can let our dogs stop to pee and poo, but our job is to get them out there and get that aerobic workout and make sure their hearts and muscles and everything are in shape and that we're draining the energy. If a dog wakes up with six cups of coffee of energy, you've got to look at it as, okay, an hour long walk, that'll get rid of two cups. And now I'm going to play with them this way. And that's now three cups. You know, you just keep going down until you, I say, try to get to two beers. I, I love the meandering of this conversation, but I want to, um, I want to touch back on um, this idea of leadership. When I look at the world and I look around, um, have people just trying to pee higher on the tree than everybody else? Resource guarding. Separation anxiety. And I look at our world, it's like it just... If we could just make it more simple, because it really is more simple than every, it's like we just make it so complicated. I would love if you had the opportunity to sit down with like the G8, like the leaders of the eight most powerful nations in the world, and they were open to a conversation about how they can shift their leadership to be better leaders that's the air quotation mark, be better leaders of their packs, if you will. Although pack is a word I don't use, and I'll explain why in a, a little bit later. Um, what would you say? Blue sky, obviously this is a fantastical situation, but you've got the leaders, the most powerful leaders of the world who have all been, maybe they've been given a hit in the head with a stick, who knows, but they've all stated 
we know that we have to do better, that we get to do better. So we are willing to sit down. Beverly, we'd like you to come in because we know that the work you do with dogs has a, has a, has a nugget in there. What would you say? Well, first and foremost, the obvious thing to say is that war should be outmoded and not done anymore. I can't even comprehend why we still think that we have to be like bullies in a playground. And if we don't get what we want, we have to try to hurt other people physically. It just, I, I just, I've never wrapped my brain around that. I don't understand, especially in this day and age when we can communicate so easily, but you know, pick up a phone or do this, <laughs> get on Zoom. It, it's so easy to talk to people. It's not like the old days when you didn't have a way to do anything. I mean, anyway, it, I just don't understand physical violence at all in that way. And that, and I don't see that as a way to solve problems. We're, we're mature adults. We should be able to compromise and talk things out. So that, go into, into, into animals. That's one of the reasons I like animals. Even though they can't really physically talk things out, they do a much better job than people. You don't see animals just suddenly trying to kill each other out of nowhere. You know, if they're trying to get a territory, it's because that's where they have to get food. And, and they're not just killing for the fun of it or for some power. They don't have ego. So it's just they only act aggressively in response to being threatened or in order to get fed. And they don't do it randomly to be mean ever, like ever. But humans all the time randomly act like assholes. And it's like, why? Like, why can't you just be a nice person? And, and even if somebody's being mean, like one of the things I say, well, my dog only barks when a dog barks first. Yeah, but your dog doesn't have to re retaliate. If I call, if I call you a name, you don't have to punch me. You know, you can choose to walk away and your dog could choose to walk away. That's what my dog has been trained to do. If a dog goes after her, she goes by and walks away. She doesn't think to get in a fight. So people can be exactly the same way. If we, if we just looked at how animal kingdom work, we'd see that they're much more intelligent and actually kind of mature <laughs> on a spiritual level <laughs> than we are. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. The yeah. question that I ask, you know, when you talk about that, you know, back to that empathetic aspect, I would love to know from you kind of where, where you stand and kind of how you guide your clients in the, in the area of, uh, aversive or re call it redirection, you know, call it, you know, extinguishing one behavior to, uh, you know, to create another or whatever, whatever words you want to use. The whole dog right. jumps on you when you come through the front door, whatever it is, like you don't want to reward bad behavior. I would love to know how you approach it and kind of how you explain to people your process. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I even have an article I did write on training camps on my website. So <laughs> anybody wants to see that can see that. Um, but what, what I do say is I'm in the middle in the sense that I don't, I, like there's, there's still one group out here and it started here in San Francisco and, but it has branched out everywhere. They just give every dog an e-collar. Mm -hmm. And that is horrifying to me, horrifying. On the other hand, we have mostly the positive R plus blah, blah, blah stuff. Um, that is literally don't say the word no to your dog. And that you is the to say force. stupidest You forgot to thing. say force free. Oh, force, force free, free, sorry, yeah. force free. <laughs> but yeah, I, as I was doing the R plus yeah. instead. But, uh, but yeah, so you can't say the word no. And I'm thinking, well, like how, 
dogs aren't born understanding certain words better than others. We have to teach them sit down and stay, but no, they knew and they came with it. If we use it, it's going to traumatize them. What is your thought process here? And the thing I write about is say, so if your kid, if you, let's say that's how you think kids and dogs should be raised because they go together in this philosophy. Um, if your kid's about to touch a hot stove, if you don't want to say no and yell at him, what do you do? You say, oh, Johnny, that might not be the best idea. Oh, shit, is your skin torched now? Oh, well, we'll go to the hospital. That's kinder. I tell my dog, no, don't do that. They go, oh, sorry, was I get, you're, you're going to do something dangerous. Oh, I'm so sorry. And we had that conversation and we're done. I, I play a game where I hide things and I say yes, no, depending on hot or cold. Less no, yes, no from, from my dog. She knows no just means you made a, the wrong decision. Try again. I don't beat her, but she has to know that word. It keeps her alive. You know, don't eat that. Don't pick up that. Don't go there. And 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 no, no and good dog are the two most important words I use every day with her. You have to say what they're doing is right, and you have to say what's doing they're doing is wrong. And if you do only one side of either of them, it's stupid. And, and I think in both cases, the dogs are, are being abused, literally. Because if you're not telling a dog what to do or correcting them, that's in their nature to get corrected. They don't get good dog here's a cookie out in the real world. Animals just get told, do this or we'll kill you. Mm. So if we have all, do this and I'll give you this cookie. Oh, no, not good enough. How about another cookie? Okay, you don't have to do it. No, it's sit or else I'm going to walk out of the room and you're not going to get the treat. Mm. I'm not putting up with this. I, I, I didn't beat them, but I'm going to walk out of the room and say, you can't have the treat then. That's a punishment. So then they learn they should sit when I tell them to, if they want the treat. <laughs> yeah. So if you had like one, I guess, parting bit of advice for someone who's thinking about getting a dog. They're not sure. What's the, like the three top tips you would say? Okay, so you're thinking about getting a dog. Here are the three things that you get to think about and get really clear on before you walk down this path. I mean, it doesn't have to be three. Right. It could be one. If you got one, it could be one. <laughs> if it's two, it could be two. I would, you know, if you've got five, let's just take right. the top three. <laughs> well, first and foremost is to really take a look at your life and make sure that you understand the time requirements to have a dog and that you're invested in it. And I'd also add that you have the finances because another thing that breaks my heart is people not even being able to afford the consult for a behavior problem. It's like, well, then again, what are you going to do when the dog needs vet care? So you have to have the money, the time, the resources to have a dog that is, is practical. But again, I can't, I, I can't believe how many people come to me without money. Um, and, and again, it's hard. I'd love to cop, help them, but obviously I, <laughs> that would be impossible. I do the best I can. Um, and then the other thing is to pick the right dog and, and to look at the options of, of getting like a dog from a breeder and how to make sure that breeder is legit and, and all that and all the rules around that that I tell people. And if you're and likely too, if you're going to go rescue, what age do you want the dog and, and what kind of activity level do you want? And, and again, what, and you notice nowhere in here am I saying breed because you have to, that comes last. You know, it's like when I always tell people when you're right, if you're going to date somebody or marry them, you don't go. It has to be an Italian with black hair and brown eyes. And then I don't care about the personality. But no, you know, and that's, that's what you're doing. When you say I want, you know, a dachshund with that's brown, that, that what what happens if he bites? You still want him or would you rather have the, the um, you know, the Merle um, dachshund that doesn't bite? Yeah. 
So you have to make sure that you're looking or, at personality. Or the chihuahua and, dachshund from yeah, the red, exactly. from the yeah. rescue. Yep. Or, well, that's funny. I mean, when people, I will say one other thing. When I get picked out, uh, when I'm doing interviews about pit bulls on TV and they are trying to say, well, pit bulls are really aggressive, right? They're really aggressive. And I say, actually, the most aggressive breed is chihuahua. I've met more aggressive chihuahuas than any other breed. So it's like it switches them on. They're like, what? And it's like, yeah, maybe the chihuahua won't kill a person in their sleep and a pit bull can, but it doesn't make a pit bull aggressive. It just means they're stronger. I even say it's a lethal weapon. You have a right to own a gun. You have a right to own a pit bull, but you better know how to use it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so first is looking at your lifestyle, your life, your time, your resources. Second is figuring out what's the right dog, the right kind of temperament behavior to fit in. Yep. And then what about third? Well, what I was saying that the other, I think the biggest decision, especially in the Bay Area, is whether to go to a breeder versus a shelter, like whether to rescue or not. Because if you don't rescue, you're looked upon as an evil human being in the Bay Area. They get really mad at you. Um, But I always keep trying to say that maybe they should be mad at the people that gave up the dogs instead, because that's the ones who messed everything up, not the people that don't want those dogs, but the people that gave them away in the first place. Um, so that, that they, they could just focus like their their hatred there. I'd appreciate it. When we when we do talk rescue dog, it's all the more important to really do a temperament eval with the dog first and make sure it's a good fit. Make sure it likes your other dog. Make sure it doesn't want to kill your child. Like, you know, check little, it out. Little, first, little things like making sure it doesn't want to kill your child. You know, exactly. Yeah. Well, again, you'd be surprised or you're probably not surprised. I do get that. And we can stop giving Prozac to dogs. I'd love it too. That's another big change. 20 years ago, I would have trouble finding a veterinarian to write a prescription for a dog when I needed it. And not my own dog, the dogs I was working with behavior problem wise. And now, oh man, up to 30% of the dogs come in with a prescription trying. The vets are like, oh, they don't say go get trained. They say, here's Prozac, here's Xanax, here's all. And I'm like, Oh my God, even with humans, you can't just prescribe a pill and make everything better. You have to go through the therapy. You have to do the the emotional change that's needed. You don't just drug a dog or a person. This is Talk Unleashed. Sit tight. We'll be back right after this. Humility. It's one of those words that gets bandied about a lot. And typically when I hear somebody talking about how humble they are, my first thought is, well, I don't know, if you have to talk about it, maybe you're not so humble. My father always used to say that anyone who thinks they have all the answers is probably the last person you should be asking for advice. That truly wise people are the ones who know they don't have all the answers. Even those who have deep knowledge and expertise the ones who rise to the top of any given field. They're often people who, when you really listen to them, they've managed to hold on to what's called in Zen Buddhist practice, cultivating a beginner's mind. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, in the last month, everything I thought that was a given in my life seems to have gone sideways. There are some things in place. I mean, my family hasn't changed much. My work is good. My dogs are good. I still have all my teeth. 
There's just a little uncertainty about some pretty core things, and I rode a lot of waves of emotion the last several days, and I realized that perhaps it's precisely the uncertainty that is the lesson. That it's in the way that I get to view the experience that the real growth gets to happen. Being untethered, unleashed, truly cut loose from expectations, self-limiting beliefs, all of it laid bare, taken to my knees. I have no idea what's next. I mean, I know some things. The podcast gets to keep going. My coaching business gets to keep going. My dog training business gets to keep going. But what any of it is actually going to look like, where I am in proximity to it, and most importantly, who I get to be in the process. Stay tuned. Thanks for stopping by. If it's your first time here, I'm so glad you joined us. And if you've been here before and you're back for more, splendid. Glad you're here. Either way, make sure you don't miss out on any of the great conversations that we have coming up on Talk Unleashed or the great ones we've had in the past. Hit up your favorite podcast player and subscribe. And while you're at it, do me a favor. Leave a review. It helps other people find the show, a show that, by the way, I don't do on my own. It takes a village, and in my village, Talk Unleashed is only possible because of John McLean and the amazing team at Monster Sound and Picture, and Joanna Lewis of Simply Podcasting. Thanks, John and Joe. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I look forward to having you back next week for another episode of Talk Unleashed. Talk Unleashed.